and welcome everyone to episode number 12 of the Pennsburg podcast. I am Gareth Bahanna, joined once again by Jim Rixner. Jim, how are you tonight? Doing great. How's it going? It's going pretty well. Uh, so since our last podcast, we have a couple of games to uh, do a quick discussion about, and then we'll move on to the more uh, timelier topics at hand. Uh, but since our last podcast went out on uh, February 2nd, the Penguins uh, have been in a little bit of a slide recently with losses to the Maple Leafs, then uh, a divisional loss, a, a really big goose egg, a 4 nothing loss against the Carolina Hurricanes, uh, an overtime loss against the Florida Panthers, a loss against the very dominant Tampa Bay Lightning, and then the most recent result was, was Monday night uh, against the Philadelphia Flyers, where Matt Murray and the Penguins responded with a really I don't know if it was a convincing win. It seemed like the Flyers outplayed the Penguins in that contest, but a 4-1 victory is a 4-1 victory nonetheless, and points are points, especially in the Metropolitan Division. So, uh, Jimmy, let's just do a quick recap of of the last couple of games here. In general, the the, Peng- the Penguins had really, you know, been on a on a pretty hectic slide. I mean, now is not the time of the year where you want really a four-game losing streak. You know when especially when the Eastern Conference is log-jammed like it is, and, and the Penguins are oh so desperate for points as it is. So it, it really hasn't been an inspiring stretch of play, uh, I guess with the exception of the win against the Flyers. But even then, that win against the Flyers, uh, you could make a really strong argument that the, the Flyers deserve to win that one. So, uh, Jimmy, I'll turn it over to you and, and get some of your thoughts on this recent stretch of play for the Penguins. Yeah, tough stretch, no doubt. I think a lot of people were hoping or expecting or or maybe just saying that after the All-Star break and the bye week that the Penguins would turn it on. And it kind of seemed like they weren't set up to do that when two weeks ago they beat Tampa 4-2 to two and they really just looked stronger than Tampa. And that was the game of getting Malkin got hurt in. And even though he was out, they beat Ottawa to get on a little winning streak. And then you kind of thought, all right, here we go. And then like the stretch of games you mentioned happened. And even then uh, they battled, like they were up against Toronto on the road and they lost in the third period, but they were tough. Florida, they lost an overtime game. Tampa last Saturday, they kept battling, no Malkin on the road again, but you know, they lost by one goal. They, they almost did good enough to win, but they didn't quite do it. So, I mean, that, that matters that they didn't win. And some of these games are taken away and, during that time, they lost to Carolina, like you mentioned, and that was the stinker. That was the bad game. That's the one you can't have. And that let Carolina get really close to being at the tail end of that playoff chase. And now suddenly, if you're the Penguins, you're looking at it and your your status as a playoff team isn't assured. There's no pad. There's no cushion for for the future. So it's it's definitely going to be important. We It seems like we see like a five or six game winning streak all the time around this time of year. And they definitely need it now. If you look at that standings, there, there's a bunch of teams right on their heels. And at the same time, teams like the Capitals and the Columbus Blue Jackets aren't that far ahead of the Penguins. So one good stretch, they could be right back in it. But if they keep sliding, they could quite easily be out of it. I guess at this time of year, you have to look at the standings too a lot. And it's it's interesting as I as I look at what lies ahead for the Penguins with 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 games against the 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 Oilers, the Calgary Flames, another divisional game against the Rangers and the Devils, uh, the Sharks, uh, uh, the outdoor game against the Flyers. The the next stretch of games, you could really you could make the argument that 
you know, this could be a season defining stretch for the Penguins. I mean, with divisional games, like we said, uh, it's already as tight as it is in the Eastern Conference and the Metropolitan Division. The Rangers, the Devils, the Flyers, the Blue Jackets, all before the, the month of February ends. So, you know, between now and the end of February with, with these divisional games on tap, it, it's not going to get easier. I, I, you, I really do think that the fate of the Penguins will be will be decided with, with this stretch of games, as bold as it is to say. But, you know, this is the way this is, you know, the way it was written. This is the way the schedule has been for since, since it was announced. So, I mean, as cliche as, as cliche as it is to say, you, you know, the, the Penguins control their destiny. You know, everyone it's the probably the most used cliche in sports, but really the, the Penguins do. I guess th- this will be the perfect time to segue into, uh, you know, what's happening with the, pl- with the with the Penguins personnel wise and how that would translate and make the stretch of games a little bit more difficult. And uh, we'll get right into it. Um, in the win against the Flyers uh, on Monday night, the, the Penguins seem to have lost uh, defenseman Ole Mata for at least, according to the Penguins, an indefinite period of time with what looks to be an upper body injury. And, and we're in no position to speculate on what the injury could be. Uh, it, it was obviously, it was assumed to be a shoulder injury. But even so, Jim, w- with the absence of Ole Mata now, and the, the the impending return of Justin Schultz. I, I think you wrote about this in Pennsburg as well. You know, everyone was hoping that Schultz would come back and, and, you know, hopefully find his rhythm at the end of the season. And, you know, the blue line wouldn't suffer any major catastrophic injuries. And, you know, a, a lot of Penguins fans were holding, at, holding out hope that, you know, Jack Johnson would be the one riding the bench for how bad he's been. But unfortunately, we don't know how long Mata's going to be out. And with that being said, uh, Jack Johnson looks like he's pretty much cemented a place in the lineup for the foreseeable future. What, what do you, what's your take on this defense now moving forward with the Mata injury? I think it's a big loss, and we all know Ole Mata isn't having the best season, but he's also had to play with Yusuf Ricola a lot. He's had to play with Jamie Oleksiak a lot. He hasn't had the best of players to deal with and that's another thing about Olimata is he kind of when he has a good partner a strong partner who can move the puck and who he can lean on a little bit then he does really well because a lot of what Olimata doesn't does do and does bring to the table is that he'll limit chances he's pretty good at suppressing shots he's pretty good at limiting goals against he does a lot of that little quiet stuff so to lose him I think is going to be a big loss that they'll feel because it was almost assumed at least in my mind when you get Justin Schultz back like Joshua we told us on the pod the plan was to use Mata and Schultz together on the second pair and kind of really have two solid pairs to go along with Dumoulin and Latang. and now that you don't have Mata back which he you know other than Schultz and Dumoulin and Latang, Mata is their best defenseman left so now it's kind of like what are you going to do with Justin Schultz what's the answer there who's going to play with him and and right now, there's no real good options. So that at least creates some roster uncertainty right now that you don't know what might happen with the Penguins in general, that losing Mata probably is going to be a big deal, especially if it's as long-term as it kind of suggests with the, you never like to hear this time of year, out indefinitely. That could mean something significant, and it's only about two months until the playoffs will start. Switching gears, but staying with the Philadelphia Flyers victory on Monday night, uh we actually have a, a little bit of breaking news to talk about as we're recording uh, regarding the status of Evgeny Malkin. And um, 
Jim, let's get into this topic now because it's a little bit uh, of, a, of a murky topic, uh, uh, complex. I don't know if is the right word to describe it, but it's still uh, very, very noteworthy to say the least. Towards the end of the game last night, Evgeny Malkin and Michael Roffel were were in a battle, and and you know Malkin and Roffel were battling for the puck, and 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 Roffel was you know you could make the argument Roffel was cheap shotting Malkin with shots to the head. And at the end of the sequence, Malkin, Malkin and, and Roffel get out of the scuffle, and Evgeny Malkin swings the stick in the direction of Roffel's head. And, um, you know, replays, I, I've seen it a couple of times since then, but I haven't seen it, you know, frame by frame, so slow motion to see, you know, did the stick actually hit Roffel in the face? What, what, you know, was he, you know, was he flopping, for lack of a better word, to, to, to try and get an advantage on the referee? Uh, but either way, uh, it has now been announced, according to the Department of Player Safety, that Evgeny Malkin will be suspended one game for the for the action of throwing the stick in the in into the face uh, of Michael Roffel. And uh, Jimmy, I, I guess we can touch on this a little bit now that the details are still coming out uh, as we're recording. But I didn't watch a lot of game action Monday uh, as Monday night as the game was going on. Uh, but from what I did see uh, from the replays of of this little skirmish here, I personally think that it, it's a careless move by Malkin. And, and you know, we've talked about it probably on the podcast before. You know how heated uh, a guy like Malkin is, and you know he wears his emotions on his sleeve, and and you know he really does seem to take some careless penalties at some really inopportune times last night wasn't really, you know, inopportune. The Penguins had the game at hand, but the fact still remains, you know, Malkin and, you know, sometimes she's just not all there in the heat of the moment. And last night was another example of the emotions getting the better of him. I thought it was a careless play, uh, irresponsible, incredibly dangerous, obviously. You know, if Roffel was doing this, I, I think Josh Yoey brought this up on Twitter. If Roffel was doing this to Sidney Crosby or Evgeny Malkin in, re, in reverse fashion, you know, we'd be calling for Roffel's head. And, you know, I'm not going to hold a double standard here. Malkin should be punished. And now that word has come out that he is suspended for one game. He's not a repeat offender, which is why, you know, I'm assuming the one game suspension is, is probably rather fitting. You know, Malkin doesn't have a, a incredibly nasty history uh, of being a detrimental player. But, you know, I, I think this is the right punishment. You know, you can't be doing this kind of crazy stuff like this on the ice at the end of the game when when the game is pretty much decided and in your favor yeah that was tough and I don't it wasn't really decided there was less than five minutes left he got assessed a five minute penalty so the Flyers could have scored as many goals as they wanted and they scored 20 seconds into that power play to make it 3-1 so it's not as if the game was totally over at that moment it could have been very very costly to shift momentum and I think the Penguins were were lucky to have they had a really good penalty kill shift from Crosby and Gensel and Latang that kind of took the window of the sails but that that was a bad time and it's never a good time and that I agree with this decision too like you mentioned pretty well that if this happened if this was Raffle swinging the stick at Malkin's head we'd all be going crazy right now and justifiably so you just can't in the sport of hockey swing your stick at a guy's head like that I, I get that he got punched I get that it was a battle and you know that sucks but Malkin's a star player he deals with abuse all the time he knows he has to he has to suck it up he has to there's five minutes left in the game you're winning three nothing why are you going to engage you got to learn when to skate away we've seen Chris Letang get pretty good at this over the years that his 
temper used to get the better of him a lot too, but he's figured out a way to control himself a lot better, at least it seems, than the past. So I don't really have a problem with the suspension at, at all. You can't use your stick like that. And he's lucky. He's probably lucky that it didn't hit Raffle more in the head because then you could be looking at, I think recently a guy got suspended for six games for that. So you never want to see that. You never want to see that happen. So maybe this is good to kind of reset him to let him know, like, you know, if you do stuff like this, it's it's going to cost you. It's going to hurt you. And you, you just got to play better. You got to be smarter. And that's kind of what this kind of punishment is for. And hopefully we'll see if Malkin gets the lesson. But he'll be out against Edmonton and we'll go from there. One final thing to touch on of, of important note in the in the Penguins Flyers matchup was the uh, return from a brief absence regarding goaltender Matt Murray, who we will touch on in just a minute with a fantastic interview with NHL Network's Kevin Weeks. But uh, Jimmy, the return of Matt Murray, boy, Matt Murray, he undoubtedly got the first star of the night in my book for for making fifty out of fifty one saves in a return game, you know, although, you know, it was a rather brief, uh, rather brief absence recovering from, from an injury, but still nonetheless coming back, you know, in hostile territory, making 50 saves against a divisional rival when you need points, Matt Murray coming back and, you know, it's just more, more fuel to the fire as to why, you know, if Matt Murray is healthy, he's the guy you have to ride between now and the end of the season because points are at their most crucial. Jimmy, do you have any, uh, any last thoughts on on Matt Murray's performance before we get into the interview with Kevin Weeks? No, you summed it up. He was great, and the Penguins need strong goaltending. Every time they do well in the playoffs, it's they're going to go as far as their goalie takes them, no matter who it is. And right now, I mean, their goalie's Matt Murray. There's no doubt about it. So he's going to have to be at his finest down the stretch. And like you said, um, Kevin Weeks gives us some good insight into what it's going to take maybe to do that. All right, well, that will do it for us. Without further ado, here is NHL Network's Kevin Weeks. We hope you enjoy. Joining us today on the Pennsburg Hotline is a veteran of 11 NHL seasons with stops in Florida, Vancouver, the New York Islanders, New York Rangers, Tampa, Carolina, and New Jersey. He played 20 career games against the Pittsburgh Penguins and has a record of eight wins, seven losses, and I think two ties and a shutout. So we're happy and proud to have joining us Kevin Weeks. Thanks, Kevin. Welcome to the show. My, my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me on, gents. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Of course. Yeah. To get started here, a big topic in Pittsburgh is always Matt Murray. He just returned from injury on Monday night, probably played the game of the season with 50 stops against the Flyers. What did you think about his game? It looked like he was battling. He did great. And how do, how do you think he did coming back? Well, I think Matt Murray looked excellent yesterday. He was outstanding in that game. Positionally sound. Didn't chase pucks. Wasn't chasing the play. He was very patient. Active hands. Made the saves he needed to. And didn't allow pucks through the, through the body, which he's had a tendency to do when he hasn't necessarily been at his top form at times. And when he, has, when he is at his top form like he was last night, then those things aren't issues. They're actually strengths. So uh, I felt he had an outstanding game last night. I was curious to see. That was a big matchup between young, two young goalies. Matt Murray now 24, two Stanley Cups under his belt with the Pens, but also an up-and-coming stud in Carter Hart in that Battle of Pennsylvania. So uh, it was a huge performance for Matt Murray. My biggest thing for Matt Murray now and as he goes forward is, you know, and I've spoken to different people in the Pens organization, 
because I want to see him make some gains. I'm not worried about his on ice. I want to see him make some gains off the ice. You know, if you look at that Penn's culture, they have a lot of hard workers starting with Sid. Of course, Chris Letang's in outstanding shape. Patrick Hornquist, Matt Cullen, that's why he's still playing the Evergreen at 42. A lot of those guys have prioritized fitness, and it's been a big part of not only their individual success, but that of the team. Matt Murray, going forward, is going to have to make some improvements in that area so that he's in outstanding shape. I think he can put on 10, 10 pounds of muscle on that frame and become a little bit more resilient to injury because uh, he certainly has a lot of talent and he has the mentality, having won two Stanley Cups already, and he's learned a lot from the flower as well. So I'm looking to see him grow in his off-ice fitness commitment, and I think that'll have a big impact on him in the pens. All right, that's great. Yeah, do you do you think uh, – I was going to ask you why you thought he kept getting injured. Do you think it's as simple as maybe adding a little bit – bit of weight and muscle because it does seem like he gets little knocks and it's like random things it doesn't really seem to be always his fault you know if a puck hits him up high and I I would imagine you you would know way better than us it's got to be really tough in the NHL just to play goalie with all those guys crashing the crease and pucks flying everywhere and sticks flying everywhere but other goalies have seemed to stay healthy and he hasn't for some reason what do you think that could be yeah I think part of that is is misfortune and or luck as you just alluded to and as a player, you don't, you know, you can't control luck. If any of us could control luck, uh, we'd be doing other things right now and probably be billionaires for it. But uh, <laughs> you can't control luck. That's the one thing. But what you can control is uh, your physical conditioning. And one of the best things I learned, I was really skinny when I turned pro and, and junior. I was really, really skinny. I was a hard gainer. And I had to work really hard to be able to put on muscle and to keep muscle at the time. And I remember Brian Murray telling me, it's like, you know what, when we've got Chris Simon, uh, you know, you've got big power forwards in and around the net, Rick Tockett, Jay Caulfield, different players in, in the era when I came into the league, but you got to be able to battle your way through a screen. You know, Joe Newendike's in front of you. You got to be able to battle for a rebound and we need you to get stronger. And it was a big focus. I always loved training myself, but you know, I was able to put those eight to 10 to eight to 10 pounds of muscle on. And they really helped me as a goalie. A lot of times the conventional wisdom is goalies shouldn't have been in the weight room. And I couldn't have disagreed. I can't disagree with that more. And for him, it's not that he needs to become the next tight end for the Steelers. But if he could get 10 pounds, maybe 11 pounds of functional muscle and still maintain his flexibility and his range of motion and his strength in his flexibility and range of motion and his conditioning, I think that'll only help him because he will become more resilient to, you know, opposing forwards, crashing the net, attacking the net. Don't forget a lot more players, not in terms of the physical nature of being power forwards that we saw in, in, let's say, in my era, but now with the new rules, guys are able to cut to the net a lot more. They're faster skaters. There's more skill. Uh, and, of course, for the defensemen, you don't have the likes of an Ulfie Samuelson or a Scott Stevens or a Ken Danico that can absolutely punish the opposing team and their forwards attacking the net. So you got to control the controllables in short, and that's a controllable that Matt Murray – has some area to grow in. And I think if he does, sky's the limit for him because he definitely has the skill set and he has the mindset as well. Kevin, let's continue with the the goaltending conversation here. We'll flip from Matt Murray to the Penguins' backup now in Casey DeSmith, who last month signed a, a brand new three-year contract extension 
that will start next season. Uh, Casey DeSmith really started to really came out of nowhere for the Pittsburgh Penguins. And while Matt Murray was rehabilitating from previous injuries, even going back into this season, uh, Casey DeSmith really came into his own as a really competent NHL goaltender. So looking at the three-year extension that the Penguins handed to Smith uh, back in January, um, do, do you feel that, that, that the DeSmith dis extension is good for the player, good for the Penguins organization to get uh, solid goaltending depth or really just good for both parties? I think it's good for everybody. And I'll say this, I, I've said this on the air. We've talked about this on the NHL network numerous times on NHL tonight that Casey DeSmith has helped save the season for the Pittsburgh Penguins. And he's really, really also helped push Matt Murray. You know, Matt Murray came in and I remember, you know, the flower was there. Everybody knows the flower is a future hall of famer. And to this point, the best goalie that's played in the Penns organization with respect to Tom Barrasso, who also had a great run, and Matt Murray, who's on a great run himself right now. But to date, the Flyer was the best goalie that's played in that franchise. And I will tell you this, when you're Matt Murray and you're shredding up Junior in Sault Ste. Marie, but then you come up to Wilkes-Barre and you're shredding up Wilkes-Barre, his first year pro, et cetera, and you're putting up shutout after shutout, you know that to get the net, you have to be spectacular because why? Marc-Andre Fleury's there. Not only is he a great person, he's also a Hall of Fame, sorry, a great goalie, He's also a Hall of Fame person. So you know the emotional equity that he had, the, the personal human equity that he had within that locker room and among the Penn faithful. So that had Matt Murray playing at his best. He knew that he was on a razor's edge, and he had to be that. And, you know, since Flower left, continued on to greatness, helped them get, being Vegas, go to Stanley Cup final last year. As of now, Flower is my Vezina Trophy winner right now for this season. But all that to say, Matt Murray had some lapses, and then he had some times where he was awesome, but he, he wasn't, he didn't really necessarily feel that threat. And once Casey DeSmith got the net, Casey DeSmith started playing at a high level. He exceeded expectations. Everybody there respects him. I've spoken to people within that franchise, including their goalie coach, Mike Buckley, and everybody raves about him. And then you started seeing the performances. So I really think that he helped A, rescue the season to Smith. B, I think that he also kind of jump started Matt Murray for Matt Murray to play at his level, as you saw, not this injury that he returned from last night with the 50, as one example, but the prior injury that he returned from about a month ago when he came back and was undefeated and had that streak. Casey DeSmith, excuse me, has helped spurn that. And lastly, I think that there's good value there. You know, I feel that you get a guy that you know, a guy that you trust, and Casey DeSmith that's earned every little inch of ice and starts and net that he gets, that's been in the minors, that's ridden the buses, He's eaten at TJF Fridays before he could go to steakhouses in Montreal and in New York. So he understands, you know, that uh, what it takes to get there. And I think it's a great signing. I like it. We're joined again by Kevin Weeks. And Kevin will be at the NHL's coverage of the Stadium Series live from Philadelphia next week, beginning Saturday, February 23rd at 7 p.m. NHL Network, definitely the best pregame in the business. Loved you guys at the All-Star Game. How much fun Thank was that you. out in San Jose earlier? I appreciate that. Thanks. Yeah, we had a blast out there. We did. We had a blast uh, out there. The, the fans in San Jose did a great job. The Sharks did an outstanding job in hosting. The league's events are, are always uh, very well coordinated and among the best in all of pro sports. So, so many NHL fans travel to a lot of the different events. For those of you that haven't been to them, I know a lot of you Pens fans there in Pitt, you guys have hosted a lot of them and more than your fair share of them. So, uh, you would understand. But yeah, the atmosphere was awesome. We had a lot of fun out there and the best part about that is you get everybody within one place, especially around All-Star. You get players and, and staff from every different team in one place. 
So you're able to connect with them. You're able to uh, get a lot of information about things that you otherwise makes it a little more difficult to in the part of the regular season, with the exception of we live in Jersey. So with the exception of them coming in to play either at the Prudential Center or the Garden and, and me getting to the rink. But that aside, it's nice to have everybody in one spot at All-Star Weekend. Thanks so much for tuning in, man. We appreciate that. Of course. One other team that's kind of in your area then is probably the surprise team of the Eastern Conference in a pleasant way. Well, other than Montreal, that would be the New York Islanders. They have Barry mm-hmm. Trotz, goalie coach Mitch Korn. I mean, all they do is they go places, they improve the defense, they improve the goaltending, and they just find ways to win. Do you think the New York Islanders are for real this season as a serious contender? Yeah, no question. I would say this. So the night that the Washington Capitals won the Stanley Cup, a few of us here on the NHL Network, Mike Rupp, uh, and a couple others of us, we had the chance to see Coach Trotz back in the hotel late night, two something in the morning, Vegas time. And, you know, in talking to him, I just got the sense that Washington wasn't going to make it happen. They weren't going to raise his compensation level to where it deserved to be. And I really felt as though there was going to be an opportunity for him to go to the marketplace. And I got to tell you what, you know, I, I think Barry Trotz, Lane Lambert, and, and Mitch Korn are outstanding in their respective roles as coaches. They help deliver something to, you know, the nation's capital that never happened before in 40 plus years with that cup. And I remember uh, thinking, you know, the Islanders would be a great landing spot. There are a lot of teams that the Islanders would be a great landing spot for him. And see, I played for Lou Lamorello. And what I respect about Lou is he's the hardest working senior uh, hockey executive that I've seen not named Commissioner Bettman. Everything for him is about detail. He watches hockey all the time, different levels all the time. Every single detail, I, rec- I knew that when we played with the Devils, that's the way we were run. So when he, when he took the helm with the Islanders, he could have made a better hire. And I'll just tell you guys quickly, just being at the Garden after Islanders-Rangers about a month ago, there was, uh, outside the Islanders locker room, there was a post-game meal set up. Post-game meal, fish, salmon, chicken, you name it, everything, pasta, everything salads and it was all set up for the players and the staff and in all my years playing at the garden or broadcasting I've never seen that happen before unless it was playoffs for for an opposing team so those are when I always say the devils and the details although Lou is the architect of the devils he's no longer there but he had a big impact on the culture of the Toronto Maple Leafs and he has a huge impact on the culture of the New York Islanders so too does coach Trotz and I've spoken to Anders Lee you know Leo Komarov who's come over Robin Leonard Matthew Barzell Kyle Clutterbuck, I've spoken to different guys in that locker room, and every one of them said, you know what, we see now we feel like we're in the NHL. So uh, right now, Barry Trotz, the way he's operating, and I don't say this lightly, he's having a Belichick-like impact. Oh. And I'm not saying that in terms of, you know, Bill Belichick, obviously all the Super Bowls he's been to, but from a transformative standpoint and the attention to detail between Lou and, and uh, Coach Trotz and the staff, it's a Belichick-like impact on the Islanders, unquestionably. Uh, Kevin, uh, w- one last thing before we can get you out of here. Um, let's shift to uh, the, the trade deadline and, and more specifically talk about a team that really is a, a wild card or an unknown as, when it comes to the trade deadline this year, and that is the Columbus Blue Jackets. And you yourself actually broke some news on Twitter recently noting that 
one of the trade chips that Columbus holds, Artemi Panarin, uh, recently switched his agents, uh, recently switched his agent rather. And um, so that's adding a little bit more of fuel to the fire for the, the upcoming trade deadline. What are your thoughts on what Columbus might do? Do you think they're really in a position to sell their stars like Panarin and, and Sergei Bobrovsky to try and start a rebuild? Or, or what do you think is going to happen with, with Columbus and really the rest of the league for that matter? Well, I would say, you know, I'd start by saying where Columbus is concerned. You know, I'll, I'll express exactly what I expressed to some members of their, their front office. You know, I think JD has done a nice job there in helping to reestablish the credibility of the franchise from a business standpoint, you know, Columbus is, uh, is, is it's its own market as every market is. And there were some things off the ice and st- stabilizing some things as far as buy-in from local sponsors and lo- local corporate partners. You've been able to do that. I think that Yarmo has also come in and, and done a nice job and added some nice pieces as I talked about. And we've talked about on the NHL network. I think Dubois has the ability to be, you know, a perennial 70, 75 point guy based on his size, his frame, his skill, uh, his progression. Of course, I love Josh Anderson as well. I, I see him being a, he should be a perennial 25, 25 guy as well. Size, speed, skill, a little bit of jam as well. We, we saw the fight that he had with Jamie Ben three weeks ago. And that ended very well for Anderson, which you don't say very often when people fight Jamie Ben. And then on the back end, of course, Seth Jones, three-time All-Star, Zach Wierenski. You know, we can go up and down. They've got a lot of nice pieces. I really think that they're not far. They're on the bridge of being a contender right now. That's a good team in the Metro. You guys, I'm sure, get to see a lot of them there in pit. But the challenge that also happens is you have to manage your assets. And asset management is really important. So for them, they are in a position, and Yarmo's in a position, where he has to make strategic decisions that he thinks are the best interest of their franchise. And in the case of depending on restricted free agents in uh, starting with Bobrovsky, who's, you know, the only two time Vesna winner in the league. And overall, he hasn't played up to his level this season. There've been a lot of disruptions, understandably. So with that pending free agency and being a goalie and some of the disruption that's kind of taken place, but uh, Columbus has been great for him. He's been great for them. And then if you look at Artemi Panarin, to me, he's a top 10 player in the league in terms of his ability to generate offense. People thought it was only with Patrick Kane when they were the best line in the league with him and Anisimov. He's done the exact same thing in Columbus without the same dynamic offensive weaponry around him. So uh, this will be interesting to see where it goes and what Columbus chooses to do, whether they retain them or they're able to find a dance partner or two or three. Because if they move either one of them, it could be via a three-way deal, not dissimilar to what we saw with Matthew Shane. So the challenge right now, guys, in short, is this, uh, this trade market is, is one that's very fluid. That's the word I'd use to describe it. So too is Columbus's situation. The trade market is fluid. And you're going to ask me why? Prices haven't been established. Because the price for Brian Boyle was interesting. That netted a higher return than people would have thought. The price to acquire Jake Muzzin was also, inter- was also interesting but it was a position of need for the Leafs. So they felt they had to make that deal. So in terms of the prices, we'll see where those go. And lastly, the teams in the West right now, that's kind of compounding the situation. A lot of these teams are still contenders, even some teams in the East that we thought were out of it, but the West is wild, wild West and it's wide open. So a lot of the teams that we anticipated that would be buyers are either holding or sorry, sellers. They're either holding and some of them are even perhaps looking to buy. 
So we'll see where it goes. It sets up for an exciting next 13 days. It definitely does, and that's what always makes it fun this time of year. And uh, Kevin Weeks also had the Derek Broussard trade to Florida pretty quickly. So you're breaking news left and right these days. Everyone should follow him on Twitter and social media at Kevin Weeks. And uh, thank you for your time, Kevin. We really appreciate it and dropping some knowledge on us. You're welcome, guys. Thanks so much for having me on, and thanks to all the Pens fans there in PA that tune in and watch us on the NHL Network. Thanks for having me. Of course. Thank you. That was NHL Network's Kevin Weeks, a really fantastic interview, lending his insight and expertise, especially on the topics of goaltending, uh, which obviously uh, Kevin Weeks, a former NHL goaltender in his own right, which was uh, really, Jimmy, I thought it was a perfect discussion, a really wonderful discussion, uh, lending uh, lending some knowledge as to, in terms of, you know, talking about, you know, Matt Murray coming back from the injury, as we discussed in the intro, and, and and touching on Casey DeSmith and the extension the Penguins gave him, as well as a couple other topics like you know what 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 will happen with the all or with the uh, NHL's trade deadline. You know it, it's it's such an exciting time. It's probably it's one of my favorite days of the year. I don't know about you watching uh, how the rest of the league will unfold after the trading deadline and, and gearing for the playoffs. But Jimmy, I thought it was a great interview with Kevin and, and we really appreciate him taking the time to come on. Uh, do you have anything else left to add before we get out of here? Yeah, sure. He kind of slipped in there that Marc-Andre Fleury right now is his Vesna pick. And I saw, I saw that uh, segment they did on NHL network where Kevin Weeks shouted out Shady Side, so he's definitely a real one. You know, he knows his stuff when he's from Pittsburgh, talking about Pittsburgh. So that was really cool. Flurry's number one in the league right now in wins and shutouts, so it could be his year for a Vesna. Who knows? I mean, Kevin Weeks, former goalie, he knows what he's talking about. He likes him for it right now, so that's something to keep an eye on too, which could be pretty cool down the stretch. Absolutely. Well, that will just about do it for this episode of the Pensburg Podcast. Before we leave you, uh, we'd just like to uh, let you know that you can find this podcast on any streaming service of choice, whether that be iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or SoundCloud, uh, whatever your podcasting medium of choice is. We'd really appreciate it if you took a couple of minutes out of your day to to give us a, a five-star rating. If you like what you're listening to, it really makes our, our job a lot easier knowing that we're, you know, we're putting the work in and we're delivering a quality product for everyone who's listening. Uh, follow the Pensburg podcast, Twitter account to get notified whenever a new episode of the podcast drops, you can follow the podcast, Twitter account on Twitter. Uh, that is at Pensburg pod at Pensburg P O D follow our main account as well at Pensburg to get uh, wholesome interwebs content that you can't find anywhere else. We have an email account that you can send uh, correspondences to if you'd like. Uh, the email account is pensburgpodcast at gmail.com. You can find my co-host Jim Rixner on Twitter at hooks underscore orpic. You can find myself on Twitter at gbahanna at g-b-e-h-a-n-n-a. Uh, Jimmy, do you have anything else left to say before we get out of here? No, I don't. All right. Well, that will wrap up this edition of the Pensburg podcast. We hope you enjoyed listening and we will be back next week with another edition of the Pensburg podcast. We'll see you next week.